Thank you very much. Good morning. Let me say hello as well. I'm Steve, part of the leadership team here. It's great to worship together with you. I was just reminded, I had to check with Nick Cameron. She brought a beautiful prophetic word, maybe missed in the moment uh, of worship at the end last week, just responding to the, the kind of prophetic um, nature of what we've been uh, preaching on in this vision series. She, she said the Lord, the Lord would declare over us that your, your story is not finished yet. And as we were worshiping there, uh, and I, I was singing about the author of salvation, the author is the one that writes the story, knows the beginning and the end, writes the foreword, um, and uh, chapter after chapter, it's a real page turner. Just when you think you're getting to the end of the story, there's another twist in the plot. And there's an amazing author that's writing stories here. There's a story for us collectively. Uh, the Lord's brought a whole load of different stories. Could you imagine reading a book with different stories, different languages, different beginnings, and he pulls it all together into one coherent work that shines out with his glory. That's what Jesus is doing with his church. Isn't that wonderful? I think so. Yeah, amen. Um, so, uh, come with me. We're in our, in our vision uh, Sundays for uh, the next few weeks, and we're now, of course, in a prayer week as well. Um, which is always very exciting. We start each term with a week of prayers. You heard from the guy in the video who got the dates wrong and the days wrong uh, and everything else. Uh, but you'll find it all in your Thursday email if you receive the Thursday email um, uh, or on the, on the website. But I do want to encourage you, if, if we can have someone from every household tonight, on the, we've deliberately done it on Zoom so that the maximum people can, can uh, connect in tonight. And then we'll get a chance to gather here Wednesday evening to pray around this building and this site, pray, prophesy, see what the Lord's saying. Um, this is prophetic, big picture stuff uh, over these few Sundays. We're looking at our vision and our mission going forward as a local church. Uh, grateful to God for all that we've come from and all that he has made us and shaped us from. But looking ahead very much uh, at who we are going to be and to continue to be. If you want to know some of the context and the story behind that. By the wonders of YouTubery and sound cloudery, you can listen and watch again uh, and catch up if you've if you've missed that. Um, if you're with us on YouTube today, uh, either live or catching up, you're you're really welcome, and we hope and trust the Lord speaking to you and stirring you as well. Um, it's as I was saying last week at more length. It's ten years this month since uh, we began serving in the local church here, and I've been thinking and praying a lot the last few months. Uh, about, Lord, what do the next 10 years look like? And we've been talking as an elders team, recognizing we're at a kind of, we're, we're at a new point A on, on the map. If you can imagine those map uh, plotters that get dropped. I had a little, uh, oh, there we are, look. I put it down earlier while we were worshiping. You don't want to worship with things in your hands, do you? There we are. Let's see what I can do with this. Uh, we're at a new point A now. And uh, we're, we're continuing on the same mission of the local church of Jesus Christ that has always been his mission. But we're just reflecting again in this next stage, in this culture, in our context here in Crawley and beyond. Um, how do we continue to extend the mission of Jesus with the values that he's called us to walk with and the kind of people that he's called us to be church into the 2030s? And so we revealed a big new mission statement last week, uh, which came with a wry smile because it's the same old mission statement of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm clicking and something will happen in a 
moment it'll appear on the screen. Maybe I'm clicking so many times like I do at home that it will click through about five pages at once and we'll all get lost. If not, ah, there we go, look, there we are. And uh, so let's say it together again. It, if you want to use your own language, you can do that. If you want to use English, uh, let's say that. We're called to be a diverse church equipped to impact the community and beyond. That's what God has called us to be. That's who God has called us to be. And uh, we're just going to dig a little deeper into that this morning before we break bread, worship and pray together. But before that, ask one of our, one of our fellow elders, Justin, would you just share something on your heart about the church of Jesus, the church that Jesus loves? Justin's not able to be with us today. They're celebrating their son's 21st birthday. But you'll love this little Justin in the Garden video talking about the church that he loves and that Jesus has called him to serve in. Hi guys, um, I've recorded this uh, on Saturday, the day before you get to hear it because um, I'm fortunate I won't be with you uh, tomorrow. Um, when you look at the vision of the whole topic of being church, what does church mean? Having looked at diversity with Steve last week, this week, looking again at, at what does it mean to be a church and before the day starts I thought I wanted to just share a moment with you about some things that come to my mind and how um, being a, a part of a church, a local church, has been um, exciting in ups and downs, but actually what drives my thinking behind what the church is to become, our church is to become. And uh, um, I'm up early before the day starts, before people come, and I'm just reminded this morning about a conversation I had in my family I mean, the church is a family. We know that Christ gave himself for us um, and uh, will come again back for us. And, um, oh, there we go. We have some squirrels coming past. <laughs> so um, Jesus is coming back again, guys. And, um, and it just reminds me that we are that family uh, and we're his body. But um, in my family, I had a great conversation by one of my, my, my daughters asking him one of the times we were together recently saying well what's your favourite parable and I just thought I was thinking well what is my favourite parable um, and I thought well perhaps it's those that uh, challenge me um, and challenge my thinking uh, so I was thinking of uh, Math 20 where it talks about you know, the landowner hiring workers through the day those at the beginning of the day were hired for a day's wage and those in the middle and the end of the day were hired at a day's wage and when it came to pay time um, that actually uh, the landowner gave a full day's wage to those at the end of the day who'd only worked a few a few hours or less and as he gave to those at the beginning of the day and those who'd worked the whole day grumbled because they had the same wage and um it was a case where God was teaching through that parable that actually, why, why are you angry? Are you upset because I'm a generous God? So um, we, that's like the, the environment that we live in. We have a, a generous God. It's a kingdom culture that we live within. But we're people who live within that kingdom, a kingdom which isn't like, let's say, the world or our thinking. And so it's it's great to to be challenged by that, that as a church with that community of people who've been called, actually been born from above, that's what it says, that we're born from above, not by earthly parents, but God gave us 
birth. So you enter in that way, and I'm sure you've discussed all of that this morning, what the church is. But for me, it's, it's a challenge. I, lo- I love that challenge that I catch hold of who God is by living within the kingdom culture. And it's challenging that he chooses the people and he chooses to be generous. And I'll just finish off as well um, with something that God spoke to me many years ago. Um, just as I was sort of waking up, I had a conversation with him. Um, it was about it was about church. It was about um, his body and about how we were supposed to live. And it was a case where I'd been sleeping, as you do, lying in a strange position, and your arm becomes you know, dead, as we call it. The blood doesn't flow to the arm. And I remember waking up with this great big lumpy thing attached to me. And it was a case where I, I thought, oh, I recognize this. I've got a dead arm. I can't feel it. It's attached to me. I know it's there. And, uh, and immediately as I was waking up, I just got the sense that God was saying, well, my church is my body. And I was thinking, oh, okay, oh, this is getting like interesting. So what is the fact that I have to get this arm re-feeling and I can then start to trust it again because it's currently untrustable. I couldn't pick a cup of tea up in the morning with a dead arm. How do I get it trustworthy again? And uh, I, uh, uh, I realized I had to get the blood flowing. And then I asked God, I had this conversation about... So what's the blood? And he said, uh, I'll give you my spirit, my Holy Spirit. And, and I was, we had this conversation about it, but it's, a, I thought, a great insight for me personally, that actually God's body is his church. And we can all be connected together and look like a body. But the moment we start to not allow the Holy Spirit the way we entered into the kingdom and to the church, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to come through us and flow through us in our lives, actually, we can still be quite connected to the body, but nobody would ever trust a, a hand to pick a cup of tea up if it was dead. And in the same way, I was challenged that, why would I expect people to trust me in the, in the body of Christ if I'm not filled full of the Holy Spirit and able to live in a way where I'm connected but actually trustworthy and actually in my gifting whatever my part of the body is my gifting is there then I think that's a great picture of what the church is to be is to be a community of true believers for all time but actually we can work that out together and the best way to do it is to trust each other and be filled with the Holy Spirit and we can wait for him to come back but we can display to the world filled with the Holy Spirit what living in the kingdom of God's like so there's some words I just wanted to share and I hope you have a great day tomorrow well isn't it lovely to hear from Justin and his squirrels Um, that's so good thank you thank you Justin I'm just going to put up uh, Acts 11 um, if we can get the am I doing that chaps or is that is the next one going to come up turn to Acts 11 with me uh, verse 19 Oh, well done. It's there on the screen if you want to read it, if you prefer to read it there. We've just been using this, uh, um, the story of the church in Antioch um, and the, the culture of this church. Justin spoke a lot about culture of a local church there. The culture of this church in Antioch, how not only are they an example for us, but it shapes 
us together. Let me just read it again um, from verse 19. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, he'd just been martyred. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. Uh, it's about 300 miles, 500 kilometers north of, uh, of Jerusalem, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the, Lord's, the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. We've sung about his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. It turns out it was with God's people here um, in these moments. And news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Let me just flick over the verse. There we go. Um, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Let me hear you say great numbers, please. Great numbers. Well done. The disciples were called Christians first uh, at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judah. This they did by sending their gifts to the elders through Barnabas and Saul. And just flick over with me to the end of uh, chapter 12. There's an incredible moment with um, the release, miraculous release of Peter from from prison uh, back in Jerusalem. Um, It's like a kind of Netflix movie. It jumps from one scene to another in Acts, one incredible scene of the of the advance of the church of Jesus to another Um, but verse 24 but the word of God continued to increase and spread and when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission remember they've been in Jerusalem with the gifts that they collected because of the prophetic word um, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John also called Mark in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Nigeria, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Wow. We, we looked prophetically last week for a few minutes uh, at the characteristics of a biblically diverse church. Um, again, looking in this Antioch passage. To, today we're looking more at the, the second word in our What Six, uh, what six uh, Words uh, series. These six words are drilled out from our mission statements. Uh, let me just put it back up there for you. If I can go back one more. I can't go back one more. Don't worry. These six words we're looking at. Diverse, church, equipped, impact, community, and beyond. They're six words that we can navigate by uh, in, the, in, 
uh, not just now, knowing who we are now and the kind of church we are now, the kind of church we've been historically rooted in, but the kind of church that we are going to be, we will be. Listen, when we talk about the church of Jesus, you, you can't have a mission statement outside of the, uh, including the church of Jesus. Jesus loves his church. Jesus started his church. Jesus called his church. He's the one that gathered us. He, he called Abraham out from the beginning. We saw today, Abraham came out of his tent. He left Ur uh, in, in, uh, somewhere in Iran probably. We've got some other people who've left Iran and followed the call of God not knowing where they're going. It's still happening today, folks. In the same way in Antioch, people spilled out of Jerusalem and other cities and found their way to, to, to Antioch because of persecution. And, and the church of Jesus Christ, he's been gathering them and calling them out from wherever he finds believers since the beginning. He calls us to be his holy people, to be a display of his glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul says. This is the church displaying his glory to the world. That often we use these scriptures and think about my own life personally. We're very individualistic in the West. But all the passages I'm going to throw out into the air today speak about the church of Jesus collectively. That's us together. Uh, we're to shine like stars in this wicked and depraved generation. That's not just your life at work, although that really matters. But it's us together, the church of Jesus Christ, bringing multitudes around the world to repentance and faith in Jesus from every background in humanity and forming them into this new community that Jesus loves until the day when he returns. Let me hear a hallelujah or an amen or something like that from your own language. And there's some stunning pictures in the Bible of who and what the church of Jesus Christ is. I'm just going to look at four or five of them with you now. You've got a little glimpse because I'm not very good with the, uh, the dobber. There we go. Um, Ephesians 5.22, and the Apostle Paul uses this language of the church of Jesus being his bride, the bride of Jesus. We, as the church, we are married to Jesus. In, in our house, in uh, just a little over six months, um, we'll have the privilege of, of seeing Noah and Jody get married. There's the ring, my precious. Uh, woo! And so... Uh, it's very exciting, but as you can imagine, if any of you have ever been in a household where weddings are getting planned for and prepared, there's a, there's a whole lot of spreadsheets going on uh, and a whole lot of talking and planning and budgeting and thinking and getting ready and, and uh, wow, uh, there's a lot of preparation going on. You know, the, the picture that, that Paul uses of the church of Jesus is as a bride that is being prepared for the groom. One day in a little over six months, Jody's going to come in through some church doors, walk down an aisle looking stunning, uh, made beautiful and ready for her husband. Noah's going to turn from the front and see his bride coming down the aisle. You are going to turn and look, right? Yeah, good. And, and probably be overwhelmed in the moment. What a, and, and Paul says in Ephesians, this, when he speaks about human marriage, this is just a, a picture to help us understand the more glorious, greater picture that we are caught up in with Jesus and his church. Paul says he's getting us ready. He's washing us with pure water and the word. There's going to be no sin left on us. We're going to be made 
perfect. Wow, one day soon, Paul gives us this idea, all the preparing. One day soon, it'll all be over. In the natural, that's true. And you go into the next phase of life together. How much more for the church of Jesus? All the learning, the longing, the waiting, the preparing, the getting ready. And Jesus comes for his church and makes us fully his as he returns. Hallelujah. So one of the pictures of the church uh, is that we're the bride of Christ. Another picture is that that we are soldiers in God's army. There's Stu Cox as a Roman centurion. Ephesians 5:22, um, uh, sorry, uh, 2 Timothy 2:4 2, um, says that we are enlisted as soldiers. We've been conscripted, um, and uh, Jesus is our, our captain, our senior officer. Uh, he's already won and and continues to win the war against Satan, sin, sickness. Even the greatest enemy, death, we get to march under his command. The Old Testament, one of the names for God is the God of the angel armies. Wow. Can, can you believe the Bible tells us you and I are inscripted as soldiers, conscripted as soldiers in this God of the angel armies kind of army. The Bible tells us he's fighting for us. He fights our, our battles. We're not talking about some kind of physical fighting. We, we don't fight against flesh and blood, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6. But we are alone as his soldiers. We are in a war. We're not complacent here. We're, we, can't, we can never call ourselves churchgoers. We're, we're alert to an enemy, Satan, who wants to steal, kill and destroy and prevent the church of Jesus Christ coming through fully into all that we've been called to be. And so we're we're learning to fight with our spiritual weapons of warfare. I love it where Jesus promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, I, you can read different scholars and I've never understood which way the gates go. Our big back gates in the car park, they can open and close both ways. And, and I, I've often prayed this prayer both ways, that, that whatever the forces of hell throw at the church of Jesus Christ, whatever angry, hateful, lying, scheming strategies Satan has against the church of Jesus, because we are the church of Jesus and because he's the general of his army, he will not prevail. He, he will come against the gates with all his forces, but he will not pass. He will be pushed back, resist the devil, and he will flee the scriptures tell us. So if, if it's about Satan coming against the, the gates of the church, great, we prevail because we're in Jesus's army. He's our defender. He's the defender of the weak and he will defend his church. But I love the fact that, and I often pray it this way, that the gates push the other way. That as the army of Jesus Christ, we get to plunder hell for all those that otherwise would be taken into captivity with Satan. Do you know what? If you'd ask me, I used to use this kind of language a lot. We don't use the, the, the picture of the church as an army so much these days. If you'd asked me when I was a young man, first starting out, what, what's your ambition? I, I used to use phrases like this. I, I would say, I have an ambition to pull as many men and women and boys and girls as I can uh, that would otherwise have spent an eternity in hell and to pull them out and bring them into being worshippers of Jesus Christ. That, that was, I would have said, that's my ambition. And you know what? I'm still saying that today. That's our call. And so my ambition as a soldier is not just to defend against the strategies and the attacks of Satan, but to say, together as the army of Jesus Christ, we get to plunder hell and pull as many as we can into a multitude one day that no one can count from every tribe and, and language background uh, as worshippers of Jesus. That's our ambition uh, as a soldier. Wow. 
Um, this is exciting. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, another picture of the Church of Jesus. We're called the, the body. I took a little selfie in the bedroom mirror this morning. Um, Ephesians 1.23, Colossians 1.18, with, with a body. This is a, if you've been around church, this is maybe a more familiar picture. The, the scriptures say Jesus is our head. That means he's in charge. He makes the decisions. He calls the shots. He brings the wisdom. Uh, we get to be the other parts of the body. And they're really important. Justin was alluding to some of that earlier. His hands, his feet. It, it means we're connected so intimately into Jesus. A, a body where the head is not connected is not going to work very well. You know that from your Tudor history and the wives of Henry VIII. Uh, we're connected intimately into Jesus. His life flows into us. His life flows through us. All our responses, all our ambition, all our mission as the body, the church of Jesus, it has to come from his direction because he's the head. We're also called another beautiful picture of the church, his family. That was a photo taken after the lockdowns. I think my, my family, my three sisters, mum and dad and all the little, little nephews uh, and one niece. <laughs> and now some great grandchildren that weren't featured there at the time. Was she featuring in any way at the time, Delilah? No, not at all. We're a family, the Bible tells us. Ephesians 2. 1 Timothy 3, and I love the parable um, Jesus tells in Luke 15 about the prodigal son, uh, the son who was lost and separated from his father, who's brought back home. We're called his family as the church, brought back to the father, lost in our sin, far from home in a far off country, our perfect big brother Jesus. He comes and gets us and brings us back into our Father's house. We would expect, having received this, this incredible, undeserved, unmerited gift of salvation, of belonging uh, in, into the household of God, we would expect that maybe we just get to be servants. Uh, I, I somehow have to repay through my performance this, this incredible reward I've received for being allowed into the, the family of God, the church of Jesus. But this parable and the other scriptures tell us, no, we're, we're now sons and daughters. Uh, Danny was praying some of this earlier as we were praying before the meeting. We're, the parable of Luke 15 is very clear. We are not slaves. Paul writes later, we're no longer slaves. We're, we're not servants. We're sons and daughters. Jesus is our perfect elder brother. You and I now are brothers and sisters in the family of God, in the household of God. Listen, this is good news for you and me this morning. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what your background is. I don't know how dysfunctional it may have been. Indeed, how awful it may still be today. I don't know whether you've come from a, a good family. My family have been amazing and affirming all the way through my life. Or you may even hear the word family and see a picture like this and think wow mine was so far from that reality but when you come to Christ every outsider every broken and lost son and daughter is brought home into the father's house we're all part of his household we all get to come under his care his protection his provision his love and kindness yeah he's his godly fatherly discipline of us as well it flows from the perfect father to his children and he builds a family. Oh, amen. Uh, and there's another picture of the church. Wow, I'm taking too long on these. Um, maybe I'll do some other stuff another time. Ephesians 2, 19. Oh, I love the 1 Peter passage as well. We're pictured as a, a temple. Different language. It's construction. Oh, there's Kaz outside the... Uh, it's a beautiful temple. Oh, I never spot the temple because there's a beautiful lady in front of it. 
Um, but apparently behind Kaz is, a, is the uh, Duomo uh, in, in, uh, in Milan uh, there, uh, and uh, that's beautiful too. Um, we're pictures as a temple. Do you know the reality of the scriptures is, uh, we, we looked, uh, when did we do the Holy House series? I think that may have been this time last year, looking together through one Peter. We, 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 we no longer need special temples since the moment that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life, we don't need to go to a temple in Jerusalem or even build spectacular temples and buildings with altars at the front and go through special rituals to somehow try and get right with God as his people. As we, as we learned in 1 Peter last year, we are declared to be saints that live in his holy house together. We're, we're joined to Jesus. He's described in the scriptures as the living stone. And it says that when our lives are connected to him, this is construction language, then, then our lives too, these dead stones become alive because we're connected to Jesus. We too become living stones. Ephesians tells us that we're being joined together into a temple. It's incredible language. Paul's writing in Ephesus where they've got temples to every kind of God and he's saying to the church, you're a more glorious temple. You you don't need to build something physically. You don't need to go back to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, but together your lives are a place where God dwells by his spirit. Jesus told his disciples, when you gather, even if there's just two or three of you, there I am amongst you, in the midst of you. And, and, and a temple means that, that we are holy. Isn't that incredible? You and I, with all the mess and the sin of our lives, because we are in Christ now, um, we are a temple. That The fire of God wouldn't fall on sacrifices that were not um, given in the right way. Wouldn't fall on a temple where the priests weren't living in the right way. But now the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and me and in ordinary churches like us. Wow, my life's not my own. I'm connected into God, connected into God's people. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. We're set apart for God. The Spirit of God has come to live in us, in my life and in us collectively as we join together. Wow, we're a bride, we're an army, we're a body, we're a family, we're a temple. These are all Bible images of the church. There are more too that are initiated and led by God. Jesus is the one. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's the one that started this. People sometimes ask me about my church that I lead. They talk to us as elders in that way. Thank goodness I'm not the one building the church. It's Jesus' church. He's the one with all authority. He's delegated some to us and we take that responsibility very seriously. But we're just under shepherds of the good shepherd as elders. He's the one that does all the work. He's the one that's already died for his church and been raised for his church and he's coming back for his church. I, I don't know what, uh, we, we're so grateful for the trust that you put in us as elders, but we can't do those things for the church. But thank goodness Jesus already has. He's the one that delegates authority, supplies the power, pours out the love, provides for our needs. We can labour and work hard and we will do, but it's never a work of our flesh and our effort. I love the old hymn, Stand Up For Jesus, the arm of flesh may fail you. You dare not trust your own. No, we don't trust our flesh. We trust Jesus who said he will build his church. And so our joy as his people is to, uh, it's, it's John 15, isn't it, is to abide in him to connect our lives into him, abide in him, and you'll bear much fruit. Actually, there's another picture of the church. It's, it's the, the, the grapevine planted in God's vineyard. There's another one. There's loads of them. You'll find them as you read this week. These are incredible pictures of who we are and what we're becoming. 
And so I just want to ask, wow, uh, maybe for five minutes uh, before we break bread, some of the characteristics of such a church into the next generation. Uh, just very briefly, I, I want to look at how you get into the church, um, what we grow in in the church, and what we're remaining in in Jesus's church. Perhaps I'll pick some of these up another time. It's important, maybe particularly for one or two today, how do we get into the church of Jesus. John, uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who comes to him at night. Nicodemus is afraid of the authorities. Jesus says, no, you must be born again. Jesus says a new birth is required. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The, the way you come to Jesus and the way you come into his church is through the doorway that is Jesus Christ. If you, you can be attending church, and we're so glad if some of you are, or watching on YouTube, or feeling a part of a family, or feeling a part of a community. That's beautiful, and we welcome you in that. But you don't become a member of Jesus' church or a member of his household until you've come through Jesus Christ, giving your life to him. That's how the Acts Church understood it from the day of Pentecost onwards. Acts 2, 37. 38 Peter's preaching full of the Holy Spirit and they say to him what must we do to be saved Peter says repent turn around turn away from your sin repent believe in Jesus in his death on the cross and his resurrection life for you repent believe be baptized in water and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that that's the way in to the church of Jesus if you look in Acts 2 you can look it up later verse 41 um, Luke, who, who's writing Acts for us, he says about 3,000 were added into their number that day. That's not 3,000 individuals who go away with a kind of inner glow. Oh, I prayed a prayer of salvation today. That, that will have happened, but they're added in, Luke says. Added into what? They've been added into Jesus' church. It's something much more than just a, a hand up in a meeting or a response on an alpha course. They've been brought into God's family, his household, his army. And every believer in, through the Acts of the Apostles uh, here in Jerusalem or in the Antioch church we've been looking at in the reading earlier, they've all come that way into Jesus' church. I started that way. You who are followers of Christ came in in that way. Those we're baptizing at the end of September, that's the step they're taking. They're getting baptized in obedience to this kind of teaching, uh, not to secure their salvation. They've already given their lives to the Lord. They're being obedient to him, but, but it, that's, baptism is a sign that they're coming into his family, into his household. Those who come on our Alpha course that Aaron and Debbie and the team are going to lead from early October. Wow, the people that respond to Jesus on that Alpha of course, will we'll come into the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, in the same way that they did back in the Acts of the Apostles. There's no idea in the New Testament of being a church attender or a church goer. You repent, you believe, you get baptized in water, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you become a part of Jesus' family on Jesus' mission. Maybe that's a challenge for one or two today. And I just want to speak to you about the, our purpose because we're not just saved to be saved. Have our little ticket for eternity. Once you've come into Jesus' church, what are we growing in? What does it look like to be added in? Um, if you read on in Acts 
chapter 2, we won't get there today, but we find they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what the church of Jesus Christ grows in, the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to things like fellowship, this uh, deep connection with one another and to Jesus. They devoted themselves to worship and, and communion, the breaking of bread, it says. Um, they, they were committed in a church where Jesus was still doing miracles and signs and wonders and leading people to Jesus. They were committed to an incredible generosity in Acts chapter 2. And you see the same in the passages we've read. I'm sorry, I won't have time to dwell on them more this morning. In Acts 11 and 13, in the Antioch community, the same marks characteristics of the church uh, of, of Jesus. Uh, it tells us that Barnabas and Saul taught them doctrine, uh, the apostles' teaching for a whole year. It's, it's really important that we get the word of God into us if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ. Um, they're a praying church, a worshipping church. Again, a generous church in Antioch. There was a prophetic word came uh, about a famine across the Roman Empire. And this, this new church plant in Antioch, from people that had scattered, said, we want to give money in order to help those that are going to be in need across uh, the believers, across the Roman Empire. It's an incredibly generous church. Generous too in that they were prepared to give away those that the Holy Spirit was sending out from them. It's a church where um, young leaders are brought through and mentored and released. John Mark brought in from Jerusalem. Uh, Saul, the troubler of God's people, brought in from Tarsus. Hey, it's a church of suffering. As well, this church was birthed out of persecution and struggle. There's great favour when you read these passages, but there's great trouble as well. These are marks of the church. And as we imagine, hey, what church are we going to be as we push into the 2030s? This, this is the kind of church that thrives uh, in, in these kinds of contexts. Why don't you take some time this week just to read through in this prayer week. Read through Acts 11, Acts 13, this Antioch church. Just dream with me again. In this prayer week, just imagine you've not just been saved. Your story's not finished yet. You've been written into this story of the church of Jesus Christ and this mission that we've on. You and I have a part to play. And finally, as we come to break bread, let me just, I just want to labor on this point for a moment. What are we remaining in? We know how we're added into the church through Jesus. We know what we want to grow in, these beautiful characteristics of the church in Acts. But what are we remaining in? Let's just be clear. I think there are two foundational characteristics for us when we use the word church today in 21st century Britain that we will remain in and that we will not move from. Uh, and we see them in these verses in the Antioch church. That is the word of God and the spirit of God. Word and spirit. We are Jesus' church still. And like those first apostles where Jesus in Matthew 28 told his first apostles, teach them, that's all the disciples that you're going to make, to obey everything I've commanded you. Peter began that from the day of Pentecost onwards. Saul and Barnabas teaching every day for a year in Antioch. And then daily, uh, Paul again preaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus with the church he planted there. We are a word-shaped people. Our teaching must be the teaching that comes from Jesus Christ and comes out of his word. It cannot be our own ideas or the ideas that our culture tells us we ought to have kind of synced in uh, with the ideas in the word. If we're going to remain in anything, 
church. Today, this year, next year, into the 2030s, we will remain as a people who are in the word of God. Sadly, around the world, and it's been true down through the centuries, churches will divide over things that they think are in the Bible, things that they don't think are in the Bible. Nowadays, we'd use words like like Bible churches or liberal uh, churches. Any true church that truly belongs to Jesus authentically cannot pick a mix the doctrines and the values. Uh, Even if we feel the world likes this, we'd like to drop this. No, no. Um, Current culture, shifting trends, cannot and will not and must not change God's unchanging word. Um, Culture has always whispered in the ear of the church. It's not just today, although we feel it obviously in our own generation. Did God really say it began that way right back in the Garden of Eden? Kids' church were looking at that last week with Adam and Eve when they were pulled into rebellion by temptation to sin. Did God really say, can't you just kind of fit the gospel a little bit more loosely around our Western changing preferences today? It sounds great, doesn't it? But there's a big problem there. These kinds of ideas don't come from the word of God. And if we're Jesus's church, it's the only place we can find the ideas and the doctrines that we teach. They're ideas that come from the snake in the garden from the beginning when he said, did God really say? If we're Jesus's church, we believe his words that will never pass away. So we, we cannot um, teach things that come uh, from outside of his word and call ourselves his church. These are warnings and we need to heed those warnings. And for us and for you and for our kids that are growing up, we've got to teach them from the word more and more so that they have a discernment and they don't get sucked into every counterfeit idea from the liberal church in the decades ahead. A true church of Jesus will hold to and remain uh, in these biblical doctrines. Wow. I love that uh, 500 years or so ago, Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, he was facing different issues in his culture. Um, But nonetheless, they were ideas that were not in the word of, of God. And under pressure for his life uh, and in front of a, a church council of people that had the power to put him to death, uh, he said this, my conscience is captive to the word of God. It's a phrase for us still today. It was a phrase for Paul and for Barnabas and for the others in the Acts church. Martin Luther said, I cannot and will not turn away. Acting against my conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. Be strong and courageous. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Martin Luther would have loved that kid's song this morning. Here I stand. Any true church of Jesus has a conscience that is captive to the word of God. We see it in Acts 2, we see it in Acts 11, Acts 12 and 13, right the way through the New Testament. It's who we've been here, the church that I inherited from Keith, my predecessor and his team, was a church that, whose conscience had been captured by the word of God. That's how this church began. Mark was reminding me of Peter Hacker, one of the founders of this church 40 or so years ago. It's a word of God, word and spirit church, and it's the kind of church, captive captured by the word of God that, that people like me will hand on to the next generation in the, through the 2020s and 2030s. And, and finally, finally, not only are we remaining in the word, but we're remaining in the, the spirit. I, I believe the church that flourishes today and into the 2030s in Crawley is not a church that dials down and, and hides away the life and the power of the spirit, but one that looks to release and walk in the life of the spirit. Word and spirit go together. You can't have one without 
the other. I can't imagine this Acts church without the life and the dynamism of the Holy Spirit. It would be an Acts 1 church where they draw lots to make decisions and they, they try their very best to be nice to one another and kind and not fall out. And they try really well to be good Christians and to do good teaching and they probably take really good minutes from their meetings. But we wouldn't be reading about them today if they didn't have the dynamic of the life of the Spirit and the courage that the Holy Spirit brings them. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no helper. There's no whisper in my ear to my conscience when I face sin. There's no dynamic power for miracles and healing and breakthrough. And There's no one forming holiness in me and in us uh, as a people. These were people who didn't just talk the talk, they walked the walk. And to talk the talk and walk the walk, we need the Word and the Spirit together perfectly as we see in the New Testament. Beloved, why don't you stand with me? Noah, Jody, Hannah, come help us. I'm just, I'm sharing some big picture prophetic ideas and dreams. I'm moving quickly through some big themes about where we might be in 10 years' time, the kind of sites around Crawley we might have started, the kind of church plants around Crawley, in neighborhoods beyond, in nations beyond, that we might begin, the, the kind of work we might do on this building to serve the next generation the kinds of leaders we'll release, the young people we'll raise, the nations we'll serve in. Hey, this is why we have weeks of prayer and fasting. In the months and years ahead, we're going to hear God give us such clear direction on these kinds of things. But what we do know today, what I know today, what we will not move from, is that today already we know we are a church family that is happily captive to God's word and joyfully filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. That we know, and that's where we remain, and that's where we move on from. How the rest of the story gets written about our lives, that will flow and grow fruitfully from those kinds of roots. But friends, come on, do a be strong and courageous foot stance with me. That's our posture. Come on, do it with me now. It's a prophetic act. This is where we stand. I believe the word of God, and I welcome the life of the Spirit. Let's lift our hands to the Lord with that posture, that foot stance. We are rooted in you, Lord. When we see these beautiful pictures of your church how can we stand anywhere else when we what a privilege it is to see your plan for our lives we're aware of our absolute ordinariness I remember Claire Biggs praying this morning we're so ordinary and yet, and yet you've called us on this extraordinary mission we just want to tell you today Lord as we root ourselves in your word and your spirit we love you we love your call for our lives we're yours we're longing for your return the, as, as Revelation says the spirit and the bride say come Lord Jesus and in the meantime shape us with your word as your people your word and spirit people speak to us about how we steward all this kingdom life into the next generation. Lord, thank you that you're protecting us. You're helping us. You're providing for all of our needs. You're empowering us. Will you flood us with fresh faith as we grow together? Lord, where some have given up or become weary, will you come alongside them again? Where we've sinned, where we've wounded one another, where we've been hurt, even in the church of Jesus, will you forgive us and help us to forgive one another? Where we've sinned and drifted. Thank you, Jesus. We have an elder brother who brings us back as sons and daughters into the family of God. And Lord, today and this week ahead, we just want to give you with open hands and open hearts and thanksgiving this church again for your glory here in Crawley and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't think there's a better way to uh, preach about the church than to finish by breaking bread together. We've got two tables here. Breaking bread was what this early church 
devoted themselves to. The bread is a, is a picture of the body of Jesus. We've spoken about we're the body. This is the body of Jesus where he said, I'm breaking it for you. Before we became the body, Jesus gave up his body on the cross for us. And so we get to eat this bread. We get to drink this wine that symbolizes his blood, or this grape juice that symbolizes his blood. It couldn't be less ordinary, gluten-free bread and grape juice. And yet it couldn't be more extraordinary, the body and the blood of Jesus. And so like every disciple that's ever lived, we look back as we eat and drink on Jesus' death and resurrection. We, we are aware right now today, He's present with us as I eat and drink. He's strengthening me. He's filling me with His Spirit. And like every believer that's ever lived and believed in Jesus, we look forward to the day Jesus is returning. One day we'll eat and drink and feast with Him. That's the spirit we come to as we break bread this morning. So as the guys lead us in worship, why don't you begin to come, gather around the tables, take some bread and wine, celebrate and welcome the presence of Jesus. If you want to pray with one another, uh, pray together, please feel free to do so. But I've taken us up to the appointed hour, so begin to move and come around the tables and let's worship Jesus in this act of communion.